Archiver, the A's in Kansas City, is made possible by the Missouri Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Ten seconds. Get ready to roll the tape. Five seconds from right now. Roll the tape. We're going with behind home plate right now. We begin this episode with Monty Moore and the pregame show on KCMO Radio, July 7th, 1963. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Monty Moore at Tiger Stadium in Detroit, where today our Kansas City A's play the last two ball games before the All-Star break with a doubleheader against the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers are hot. They've won five straight. The A's have been cooled off. They've lost five straight. So something's got to give here maybe today. Our special pregame behind home plate show uh, guest tonight is George Kell, broadcaster for the Detroit Tigers. And we'll talk with George in just a minute. But right now, let's take this time out. For me, and I think for most fans, it's not just the players that conjure up memories of a team. The broadcasters are just as important. Sure, it's true for television, but the relationship isn't quite as personal as it is with your radio. When you're alone in your car, or when I was a kid, listening to a late West Coast game on my clock radio. So when I heard this... It's butternut bread baseball time! I knew Monty or Merle Harmon or George Bryson were going to tell me about Rocky Calavito or Campy Campaneris or Wayne Causey or any of my other favorite A's. And all the action was going to come pouring out of my radio, a place near and dear to my heart. The podcast is Archiver, The A's in Kansas City, Episode 7. The A's are on the air. Me, I'm your host, Sam Zeff. Now, truthfully, there simply aren't that many historic calls in Kansas City A's history. No shot heard round the world from Russ Hodges when the Giants beat the Dodgers for the National League pennant in 1951. No Vin Scully calling Don Larson's perfect game in the 56 series. But there is this. I'm taking you to Memorial Stadium, Baltimore, on September 11, 1964. Righty Dave Vineyard is pitching for the Orioles. It's the top of the first, no score, with one aboard. Hard-hitting Rocky Calavito is at the plate, and Monty Moore and George Bryson are on KCMO. Dave Vineyard goes to the stretch. Here's a pitch to Rocky. Low and away, ball one. Now the pitch on the way. There's a drive to left field. It's really going. It's on the way. It is in the home run area. Number 300 for Rocky Calavito. A blast way over the 380-foot side up into the bleachers in left center field. And here he comes around third. Home run number 300 for Rocky Calavito. Only 22 people in the history of baseball have done that besides Rocky. Man, that was no cheap one. He blasted it way up into the left center field seat. The A's lead two to nothing. Here's a pitch to Gentile, and Jim wraps one into right field. There's a base hit for him. Wayne Causey scored ahead of Calavito's boat. Oh, I wish that could have happened at home. I'm glad it happened anywhere, but it really happened here. Now here's Matthews up, 1-0 pitch. Ground ball of a shortstop hole. Cut off by Brooks Robinson, but he can't make a throw anywhere. Both runners are safe on hits. Four straight hits for the A's here. I love that call. It's so in the moment. It's really going, Monty yelled. A blast way over the 380-foot sign. No video. 
would have made that Homer more vivid. And all over Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, and Oklahoma that night, people were enjoying it on their radios. Here's Jeff Logan from the Kansas City Baseball Historical Society. When we were kids, the games weren't on TV. Right. Once in a while. But not very often. Not much. And you sat outside in the summertime with your family, and you listened to the game. You listened to Monty Moore? Yeah. And you listened in the car. And, and But, I mean, you would just sit around your house and listen to baseball on the radio. And here's something you don't hear much on the radio anymore. Thank you very much, and hi once again, everybody. Tonight, our baseball warm-up show originates from Comiskey Park in Chicago, where our Kansas City Athletics open up a big weekend series. Our special guest tonight is a special guest at the Kansas City Athletics for the weekend here in Chicago, the wife of a shortstop, Wayne Causey. This is Patsy Causey, and we'll talk with Patsy and continue our interview in just one minute. I only know this about Patsy Causey. She was married to a shortstop, Wayne Causey. They have two kids, and she seems to be the real deal 1960s homemaker. Well, this is a special pleasure for us, Patsy Causey, to be able to talk with you. We've talked with your husband, Wayne, two or three times on this show, and I guess you were on the other end listening. Yes, I sure was, Monty. It's my pleasure to be here tonight. Well, Patsy, you're kind of the, uh, as I was thinking back, I believe you're the senior member of the Players' Wives, are you not, on our ball club now? Yes, I think I am, Monty. In fact, I think Wayne is the senior member of the club now that uh, all the others have been traded since we came. Patsy, does Wayne bring the game home with him? Do you discuss baseball much at home? Definitely not, Monty. Uh, Wayne is, is, he is all ball on the field, but once the game is over, tomorrow's a new day. And a new game, and he just does not does not bring it home to me. Oh, we discuss little things, but as far as going deep into deep conversation about a game or about the game to be played the next day, we just don't do it. Well, I know a lot of players feel that way in their wives. We're talking with Patsy Causey, wife of Wayne Causey, the A's. Shortstop, and we'll be back to wind up our show in just a minute. Well, Patsy, I know you can't... Uh... They don't have anything for you at the President's Shops in Kansas City, but here's a $25 gift certificate. You can shop for Wayne and the boys. Maybe I'll have to shop for my father-in-law who's keeping my children, Monty. That might not be a bad idea. Thank you for being our guest, Patsy. Fans, the four President's Shops summer sale is now in full swing. All their famous brands are included. Reductions in every department in sport coats and slacks. You can save as much as 40%. Listen to this, a two-trouser Dacron wool suit. Regularly $75, now only $54.85. There's a president shop near you. Now Monty Moore inviting you to stay tuned for the lineups for today's game between the A's and the White Sox. Wow. Did Monty Moore just say a suit with two pairs of pants for $54.85 at the president shops, which, by the way, had four locations in Kansas City? Every inch a store for men, they claimed. Although, one, I'm not sure what that means, and two... I am pretty sure that came out of some liquor-fueled Mad Men advertising pitch session. But I digress. What I really want to say is this. Aren't those old radio spots cool? In the middle of the fourth inning, it's Kansas City 4 and New York 2. And now here's a cool idea for a warm day, Ham's Beer. From the land of sky blue waters comes the big fresh taste that Hams has captured. Big fresh taste. That's the secret Hams has captured. Deep and icy, light and easy on your thirst. Hams big fresh taste, brewed from nature's purest waters. Taste the secret Hams has captured, brewed from nature's purest waters. Big fresh taste of the beer refreshing from the land of sky blue water. 
big fresh taste of ham. Wouldn't the cold hams taste good right now? There's not an A's fan who doesn't remember the land of sky blue waters or that big yellow can full of potato chips. Here's an in-inning ad with Bill Bryson during a 1966 A's-Yankees game in New York. There's a call strike on a fastball and Danny Fisher very quickly out in front. Following portion of today's game is brought to you by Guys Nuts and Potato Chips. Be wise, buy guys, guys potato chips. Back open a bag right now. Feel pretty good, wouldn't it? For the 13 years the A's were in Kansas City, the games were broadcast on KCMO. The station went on the air in 1925 with the call letters KWKC, but changed to KCMO in 1936, the year Walter Cronkite started broadcasting sports on the station using the name Walter Wilcox. It's hard to imagine now, but radio used to be, even into the 60s, full service. There was music, soap operas, game shows, and because it was required by the FCC, they all did news. And KCMO did a lot of it. Now, KCMO Confidential, 60 seconds inside a great radio station. You're in your car. All day long, you've been at work, out of touch. Traffic is terrible. You're wondering what's been going on. How are things in Vietnam? What's the latest quotation on your stock? The score of last night's big game. If you find the time, how's the fishing? What's going on in Kansas City News? These questions are driving you insane. What to do? Suddenly, there's relief. Blessed, comforting relief as the deep tones of Dan Ronald waft from your car radio. KCMO, bumper to bumper news time, 4.55. John Flynn, KCMO News Service. Financial edition, Don Johnson, KCMO News Service. Sportsbook with Bruce Wright. 5.30, here's Harold Ensley. Hi again, everybody. Isn't it good to know someone cares? This has been KCMO Confidential. 60 seconds inside a great radio station. Geez, how'd those guys get their voices so low? And make no mistake, almost everyone on the radio were guys. But that changed with a completely unexpected Finley move. I call myself the first female baseball broadcaster in the history of the world. That's Betty Bushman, but in 1964, she was Betty Kaywood. And before her, everyone broadcasting baseball sounded like this. Let's pause here for station identification. This is the Kansas City Athletics Baseball Network. Be informed with KCMO Radio News. Nationally, regionally, and locally, you hear all the news on KCMO Radio, Kansas City, Missouri. At Municipal Stadium in Kansas City, this is Monty Moore. Bruce Rice is not with us today. Bruce is up in Chicago with some television work that he's doing. Bruce will be back with us on Tuesday night. But in 1964, Finley clearly had his showman's hat on when he broke the gender barrier with Betty Kaywood. Finley told the AP that he hired the weather girl from WLS, the ABC-owned station in Chicago, to appeal to the dolls, another Mad Men kind of moment. It was such big news that Betty appeared on one of the most popular game shows of the time on October 4th, 1964. And now, let's all play What's My Line? And now to meet our first challenger. Will you enter and sign in, please? Betty Kaywood. Is that right? Is it Miss or Mrs. It's Miss. Miss Kaywood. And where are you from? Kansas City. Kansas City. Missouri. Missouri. Oh, of course, I'm sorry. 
Kansas City, Missouri, and may I present our panel. Now, would you join me over here, and uh, we'll let the audience in the theater and the audience at home know exactly what your line is. Broadcast baseball games, the rather crude graphic said. All right, panel, we can tell you that Miss Kaywood is salaried and deals in a service, and we'll begin the general questioning with uh, Bennett Cerf. Miss Kaywood, <clears throat> before we examine what line you're in, I want to predict that you will have a conference with Mr. Daly before long. <laughs> Uh, you perform a service, Ms. Kaywood. That's right. Is this a, perform a service that is performed for both men and women? Yes, sir. For adults rather than children? Not necessarily. No, that's one down and nine to go. The Broadway star Arlene Francis guessed she worked for a nonprofit. The comedian Buddy Hackett thought she was a forest ranger. But the publisher Bennett Cerf finally figured it out. I, I, may I have a quick one? There's a girl been uh, uh, hired by the fellow who owns the Kansas City baseball team. Are you the girl? Yes, Betty. Yes. Betty Kaywood, as I said, is Betty Bushman now, and she still lives in Kansas City. Charlie started offering me money, and I said, no, that's not enough, that's not enough, that's not. Finally, he got to a figure I couldn't turn down, and I said, well, all right, if you'll pay me that, pay my transportation back to Kansas City, pay for my children's housekeeper when I'm off on games, I'll come. He said, done. So that under that basis, I came. And she has a unique take on Charlie Finley. Charlie Finley was a very interesting man. He obviously was an incredible businessman. That being said, he had, and I'm going to be very upfront about this. This is, very, this is honest. You may cut it if you'd like. Uh, he had a serious drinking problem. And when he drank, he would call me in the middle of the night and tell me what to do the next day. When he first hired me, he told me that he wanted me to wear Kelly green and that awful yellow. And I said, do your male broadcasters wear that? And he said, well, of course not. I said, neither does your female one if you have one, because I wasn't about to look like a clown. He had these outrageous ideas. But I want to tell you, he called in the middle of a game George had handed me a commercial, and I read a beer commercial. And he called in the middle of the game, don't ever let her read a beer commercial. Women and beer commercials were not part of that time. He would call me in the middle of the night and tell me what to say the next day, tell me what I would have to do. In the beginning, I would listen and then hang up politely. Or later on, he'd, I'd hear his voice, and I'd just hang up. We didn't have caller ID in those days. And I would just hang up because it was nonsense. He drank a lot, and when he drank a lot, he was a very likable man um, in terms of, of, he was a salesman. Salesmen are always likable, but that doesn't mean they're genuine in terms of you're not seeing the real person. I don't think I knew, I didn't know him that well anyway. I had only a professional relationship with him. We never had any kind of a friendship or even a hail fellow well met. I worked for Charlie and I knew that. That being said, he was a perfect gentleman to me, except when he, in the middle of the night, when he would call, or in the, in the shows, and he would scream and yell and swear, and, and it was just unacceptable behavior, which I wouldn't deal with, so I would just hang up. Betty would broadcast A's games for only three months. Her contract was not renewed for 1965. Despite the abuse Betty and so many others who worked for Finley endured, she says she was sad that her color career was over in such a short time. A short time. A lot of things were short when it came to the A's, Players traded, managers fired, and, well, the franchise itself, 
only 13 years in Kansas City. I remember when I first heard that the team was moving from Kansas City and I was uh, heartbroken. It was after the 1967 season, but during the season, I had not heard that the A's were thinking about moving uh, to Oakland, although we had heard that Charlie Finley uh, earlier, in earlier years, had threatened to move to Louisville and to Dallas-Fort Worth and to Oakland, but uh, um, so it was very disappointing, and as a fan, it, it kind of, uh, uh, you know, was heart-wrenching. The A's got to Kansas City with a sleazy backroom deal in Philadelphia, and they were replaced by the Royals with some good old-fashioned hardball Washington politics. That's in our next and final episode of Archiver, The A's in Kansas City. The podcast is produced by Matt Hodap and Linda Haskins in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City and is made possible with a grant from the Missouri Humanities Council. Archiver is produced with Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelan is executive producer, and the Center for Midwestern Studies, where Diane Moody-Burke is director. There's some cool pics at our website, fountaincityfrequency.com, and make sure to subscribe to Archiver on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sam Zeff, and I'll see you on the next Archiver.